Uh, please remain standing while I read the passage that's going to be the um, foundation of today's sermon. It's not on the slides. I don't have slides today, actually. But if you have your Bibles or your app, I do encourage you to open from the book of Isaiah, chapter 52. I'm going to read from verse 13 and going to finish at chapter 53, verse 12. It's a rather lengthy passage, but I think it's worth thinking about. Isaiah 52, starting from verse 13. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many as were astonished at you, his appearance was so marked beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told him, they see, and that which they have not heard, they understand. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the the arm of the Lord has been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of dry ground, he had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he had opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that, that, is, that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off? Uh, out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgressions of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Verse 10. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Please be seated. May the Lord add the riches of his blessing to the reading of his word, and may the Holy Spirit is pleased to graft his word into our hearts. Now, friends, uh, in this uh, few weeks, starting uh, two weeks ago, we started a series that's titled Gospel Worldviews. And through this series, we are going through uh, four major divisions or um, ideas that are very uh, germane in, in, in the Bible that we generally call the, the creation, the fall, redemption, which we are going to talk about today and next week consummation or perfection. 
So in the first sermon, just in, in case you've for, uh, forgotten, uh, Phil Campbell talked about creation. And in there he says, the harmony in Genesis 1 is what the world could and should have been. So the original creation was created very good. In fact, we can still see glimpses and taste and enjoy the goodness of creation today. And last week, we focused on the fall. Uh, we pro- you probably recall where Phil Court, um, our preacher last week, said, we do indeed live in a fallen world, but we live with the promise that in the end, God will put everything right. In fact, that's probably the big question here today. We, we had a good creation to start with, We live in a fallen creation, although we can see lots of glimpses of its goodness today. But the question is, how can the world be made right with God? There's a lot of talk about peace in the first two sermons, the the searching of the real peace. And that's actually the big question in uh, today's passage. It's taken from a very massive epic book called Isaiah, 66 chapters in total, by the way. It's not light reading. Okay, but in, in just to give you a context before the, the passage that I read earlier, um, Isaiah talked a lot about comfort for the hurting, as much as he condemns the sin of God's people. And he actually promises a redemption, a salvation that's way more epic, way bigger than the Exodus, that is when the Israelites were taken out of the land of Egypt many, many years prior to this event. One of the key ideas in the book of Isaiah is that there is a holy God who promises to live among his people. The question is how can that be? Because if you look in the book of Isaiah in the first 50 or chapter, you will find out that the people of God fail to love God, fail to serve God. They are unholy. They don't deserve God to be in their midst. In, in fact, if God were to be in their midst, they will be utterly destroyed. So how can this holy God save his people without compromising his holiness? So in these verses, there are three things that I would like you to see. First is we are going to see Jesus in his place and then Jesus in our place and then we in his place. Okay, it's pretty straightforward, right? Let's look at the first um, three verses. That is, um, if you open your Bible apps or your physical Bible, it's Isaiah chapter 52, verses 13 to 15. I already read the passage, so let's um, go through this. Now, you may uh, notice that in this passage, the word, my servant, is repeated several times. In fact, in the book of Isaiah, this is the fourth or the final of four servant songs in the book. I'm not going to cover the, the, the first three, but basically, simply put, the fourth song is the final song. It's the concluding song. And the, 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 the fourth song opens by giving by actually spoiling the whole, so, the whole song. And the spoiler is pretty simple. Two words, Jesus wins. It's actually the spoiler of the whole Bible. Okay? Now, you, you look, look there in verse 13. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. Now, these words are interesting because 
If you find in the earlier chapter in Isaiah or many, some parts in the Bible, you will find that the words high, lifted up, and exalted are usually used to describe God. But here, it's applied to the servant. In fact, so amazing this servant is in his place, it says there that many will be astonished and this word astonish means a sudden and empowering sense of surprise and wonder. Many will be astonished at you because of his worldwide success. Because in verse 15 it says, he shall sprinkle many nations. His success, guys, is so awesome that even the leaders, celebrities of that day, important people of his days are rendered speechless. That's what it says in verse 15. Kings shall shut their mouth because of him. For that which has not been told them, they see, and that which they have not heard, they understand. We haven't seen anything like this before, to put it in a modern parlance. Isaiah here, as in many parts of the Bible, uses poetic or song language to describe not just a local celebrity, but someone who has achieved a global and worldwide fame. This is what the Apostle Paul's many, many year, the Apostle Paul many, many years later talk, says about Jesus in his letter to, to the Colossians, for example. He says, Jesus disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Now, friends, these verses in Isaiah, as I said already, opens a song for us by saying what the whole Bible is saying about Jesus, that he will rule and reign victorious at the end. Jesus wins. His absolute, total, and final win is guaranteed. He is high. He's lifted up. He's exalted. And we are right to sing earlier, guys, God eternal, humble to the grave, Jesus Savior, risen now to reign. But if you see the world today, or even the church, the church in the world, you probably don't see a lot of triumphing, except for a few hours on Sunday during the service. In fact, despite the high and lifted up, the major notes, or the major sounding notes in these verses, you can probably already hear some minor notes. For example, in verse 14, it's, uh, there's a description there where it says, his appearance, that is the servant's appearance, was so marked that it's disfigured beyond human resemblance and is formed beyond that of the children of mankind. And even the word sprinkle there in verse 15 where it says, so shall he sprinkle many nations. Sprinkling there is not talking about water sprinkle that children have fun with during a hot summer day. It's actually a religious language. It speaks of the sprinkling of animal blood sacrifice that God commands the Israelites to cleanse them from their sin. Albert Einstein, the great physicist, is one time honored by Time magazine as the man of the century. Now, he was once, once traveling from Princeton on a train when the conductor came down on the aisle, came down the aisle, punching the tickets as they used to do, of every passenger. When he came to Einstein, Einstein reached in his vest pocket, couldn't find his ticket, so he reached in his trouser pocket, wasn't there. 
He looked in his briefcase, couldn't find it. Then he looked in the seat behind him, he still couldn't find it. The conductor says, Dr. Einstein, I know who you are. We all know who you are. I'm sure you bought a ticket. Don't worry about it. Einstein nodded, appreciating the conductor's treatment. The conductor then continued down the aisle, punching tickets. As he was ready to move to the next car, he turned around and saw Einstein down on his hands and knees looking under his seat for his ticket. The conductor then rushed back. Dr. Einstein, Dr. Einstein, don't worry. I know who you are. No problem, no problem. You don't need a ticket. I'm sure you bought one. And Einstein replied, young man, I too know who I am. What I don't know is where I'm going. It is important for us to know that this servant of the Lord, Jesus, he doesn't only know who he is, but he fully knows where he's going. If we read and watch what our experts and world leaders predict about the future, they are all filled with fear, uncertainties, confusion, but not Jesus. He is high and lifted up, exalted. He is the Son of God, the faithful servant. In fact, in the Gospel of Luke, just days before he was about to, to be crucified, it says this, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, that is crucified, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. That is, he's fully determined. Friends, if you want to know how to make sense of who God is, what is the meaning of life, how can I have peace, then you and I have to begin with the one who is in charge of everything, the servant of the Lord, Jesus Christ. So my question to you is, who or what is in charge of your life? Well, some of you may say, well, it has to make, way, make sense to my way of thinking. If I can't prove it, if I can't see it, then I won't believe it. Some of you may say, well, it has to suit to my liking. If I don't like it or I don't feel it, I'm going to ignore it. Or some of you may say it has to suit my tribe, my culture, my style. If they don't approve it, then it's got to be wrong. And if they give their thumbs up, then it must be right. Friends, as Bob Dylan say in one of his songs, you gotta serve somebody. Gotta serve somebody. That's the title of the song. We all put something or someone in our lives as high, lifted up, and exalted. In fact, in the Bob Dylan song, Gotta Serve Somebody, in the, ref, in the chorus, I think it says this. Well, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're gonna have to serve somebody. Who do you serve? Who do you put as the high and lifted up and exalted in your life? Will you worship Jesus in his proper place? Is he the one high, lifted up and exalted in your life, in your thinking, in your liking, in your feeling? As I mentioned earlier, despite him being fully in charge, knowing what's ahead, we all know what awaits him in Jerusalem. And that actually answered the other question. We, we know Jesus in his place, but the question is, how is he going to accomplish his victory, this peace that God promises? So that brings me to my second point, Jesus in our place. That's chapter 53, verses 1 to 9. Look at 
um, I encourage you to look in your Bible. Um, Friends, the question is, how is God going to show himself? Let's look at chapter 53, verse 1. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm or the action or the presence of the Lord been revealed? Now, as I mentioned earlier, here the minor notes of this poem or this prophecy takes the center stage. It's a very somber sad and painful image. It actually describes in vivid detail how the servant is going to accomplish his victory. And he does it, not by military power, not by economic smarts, but he does it by taking the place that you and I deserve. That is by enduring God's holy anger and condemnation against our sin and transgressions. Starting verse 2, we look at a picture of something that's feeble, weak, insignificant. Verse 2, for he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. In other words, who would have backed this kind of servant? Who would have put their support behind him. Verse 3, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteem him not. We don't value this guy. We don't value this servant. Friends, he gave his back to be whipped. He let himself to be dragged around and beaten and mocked. He allowed himself to be severely abused physically and verbally. In the Gospels, you read how the soldiers led him away and they called together the whole battalion and they clothed him uh, mockingly in a purple cloak, cloak. They twist together a crown of thorns, you probably recall, and they put it, they put it into him. And they began to salute him, obviously mocking him. Hail, king of the Jews. They struck his head with reed and spitting on him and kneeling down in pretend homage, pretending to, to worship him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him naked and then put his own clothes and crucify him. His own people, they pass by him and they wag their heads saying, you who would destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourselves and come down from the cross. Weakness, humiliation, shame, cancellation, rejection, these are the kind of things that not only people back then, but people today, we try to avoid as much as possible. And yet, Jesus took our place even to the point of death. This is the humiliation, the shame, the weaknesses, the cancellation, the rejection that you and I, we all deserve. Look at verse 9 and 10. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. That's another word of saying suffer and death and dying, and f as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off, that's another word of death and dying, out of the land of living, and they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Friends, only Jesus can take our place because he's not only willing, 
but he's the only perfect sacrifice on our behalf. Verse 10. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He, that is the Lord, has put him, that is the servant, to grief. When his soul make an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring, he shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Friends, Jesus, the servant of the Lord, is perfect because he is absolutely pure. He is absolutely guiltless. And that's proven by these verses that talks about his resurrection. That's why it says he shall see his offspring after his death. He shall prolong his days after his death. Okay? Um, it's, a, it's a resurrection language. But the heart of the prophecy or the central idea of the prophecy is actually in the verses that I skipped earlier, if you notice, verses four to six. Let me read this to you again. Surely, he has borne our griefs and carries our, carried our sorrows. Yet he, we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. God is the one who gave his servant, his son, Jesus, to suffer in our place. We might see him as being punished or even cursed by God, as his enemies often say. But it's our punishment and our, curse that, and our curses that he actually bore on that cross. In the first two sermons of this series, you probably remember, um, in the creation, we were at peace with, with God. Then at the fall, we lost that peace. And here, what, bring us peace, what will bring us peace with God? It is God himself in Jesus taking our place, experiencing the worst that humanity can inflict on each other. God's righteous anger on us is fully poured out on Jesus. If you look at verse 5, take, take notice. Look at how Jesus not only shares our griefs, but actually suffers in our place. Four times in verse 5, the contrast between he or him, he, him, that is Jesus, and we, us, in this passage is displayed. Look again. He is pierced, our transgressions. He is crushed, our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace upon him and by his wounds, we are healed. And Jesus does all this willingly in perfect, this is a perfect balance of deep love and deep commitment to sinners like you and me. Look again in verse 7. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened, out, he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. 
Remember again, he knows what he's doing. We, he knows what he's done to him. And he does all this willingly. How many of you have watched the movie Patch Adams? Show of hands. Patch Adams. If you haven't, look it up. It's a very good movie. Let me just give a brief recap. In the movie Patch Adams, which is based on true story, by the way, the late Robin Williams play, plays an idealistic medical student who wants to change or re revolutionize the medical profession to focus on compassion more than profits. So he starts a free clinic. Sorry, I'm actually spoiling the movie for you. I just realized, yeah. But still worth watching, by the way, guys. He starts a free clinic that predictably attracts some people, people who are at risk, but also, unfortunately, with, with that come people who are quite dangerous. And in that story, um, Patch Adams' girlfriend works with him at the clinic, and unfortunately, and here's the spoiler, is tragically killed by one of the more unstable patients. And this experience obviously, obviously throws Patch Adam into a crisis. He's confused philosophically, theologically. There's actually one scene in the movie where he actually stands in front of a cliff, looking down and about to commit suicide. But in that cliff, he has a personal dialogue with God. This is what it says, what he says in the movie. So answer me, please, God. Yeah. Tell me what you're doing. You create man. Man suffers enormous amount of pain. Man dies. Maybe you should have had just a few more brainstorming sessions before creation. You rested on the seventh day. Maybe you, sh you should have spent that day on compassion. Friends, what a serious indictment against God. As you probably, if you don't recall, Patch Adam then looks down again as he's about to throw himself off the cliff. And then he turns his eye back to heaven, assuming talking to God, and concludes his soliloquy. He says that, you know what? You're not worth it. You're not worth it. But friends, I hope when you look at Jesus in our place today, you understand that he is worth it. The theologian John Stott says this, sin and salvation is all about switching places or substitution. The essence of sin is man taking God's place for himself. The essence of salvation is God taking man's place for himself. Man sets himself to oppose God and takes the place that only God deserves. God sacrifices himself for man and takes the place that only man deserves. Man claims the right that only belongs to God. God takes on the punishment that only belongs to man. Look at Jesus in our place. He's worth it. Let me ask you, will your career, your finance, your family, your hobbies, or even your ministry die in your place? No. More often than not, we are the ones who end up dying because we idolize them. We let them take God's place in our lives. And 
perhaps this is the first time you discover or rediscover that Jesus is truly worth it. And for some of you, will this be the day when you come to Jesus and say something along this line? Lord, I have no peace. I'm feeling guilty. I deserve your righteous anger for my sins, but thank you, Jesus, for taking my place to be fully and finally punished on my behalf. I will now trust my life into your hand and please be my Lord and Savior. Friends, is the if this is good, it does get better. Let's look at verse 10 and to 12 in conclusion. So we had Jesus in his place, Jesus in our place. Now let's look at we in Jesus' place, verses 10 to 12. I already mentioned that in the last few verses, Isaiah speaks resurrection language. This is resurrection. The servant wins over death as well as those who believe in him also wins over death. This is what, what it means when he talks about he shall see his offspring and so on and so forth. Jesus will see the result of his suffering. He will see that the result of his suffering is a bunch of people who know him, who trust him, who love him, and who love each other. Jesus rises from the dead and continues to pray on behalf of his people. Why? Because we are in his heart. We are guaranteed a place before God because of Jesus. And today, all across the world, there are millions of people who are willingly, who willingly suffer, sacrifice, and serve because of what Jesus has done for them. One day, a rich man gave a basket full of rotten food to a poor man. Rotten food, okay? The poor man smiled and left the palace, the rich man's house, with the basket, emptied the basket of his content, and cleaned it, put beautiful flowers in it, and returned to the palace and gave it to the rich man. The rich man was astonished, to use the Bible word, surprised, shocked, and asked the poor man, why? I gave you a basket full of rotten things and you bring it back filled with beautiful flowers. The poor man smiled, replied the king, every human being gives what's in his heart. What is inside you is what you give out. Friends, now that we as believers are in Jesus' place, obviously not replacing him as king, but we are so close and united to him that we are his forever. What should we give out? How should our life look like? When we treat others, do we treat them as Jesus would, would have treated them? When others mistreat us, do we respond the way Jesus would have responded? As the song we are going to sing after this, the servant king, let's take a, take a note of these words. So let us learn how to serve and in our lives enthrone him, that is, make him king. Each other needs to prefer, that means puts our, put other first, for it is Christ we are serving. There's a good creation. We live in a fallen creation. How can the world be made right again with God? How we can have lasting peace? We can only have lasting peace with God through Jesus who was condemned 
in our place. As one writer says, all our guilt must go to Christ and all our righteousness, that is our right standing, must come from Christ. This is God's way to release for guilty people and there is no other. Let us pray.